Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. My name is Emma Crosby, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast of the July 2023 issue of BJOG. Communities and countries, and ultimately the world, are only as strong as the health of their women. This is a quote from Michelle Obama in her TED Talk of the 13th of March 2014. Progress in reducing global maternal mortality stalled from 2016 to 2020 with an inevitable further deterioration in the following COVID-19 pandemic years. It represents a depressingly widening global health inequity with 70% of all maternal deaths recorded in sub-Saharan Africa. This stagnation of progress likely reflects a waning political will, including the active persecution of women's rights by some political and religious groups, increased conflict and displacement worldwide, and a lack of funding and resources. In 2020, the global maternal mortality rate was 223 per 100,000 live births, However, in conflict and post-conflict states, the rate is at least twofold higher. Nearly all maternal deaths can be avoided if women receive good quality medical care in a timely fashion. In this issue of BJOG, Abraha and colleagues describe the devastating impact of armed conflict in Tigray, Ethiopia, on maternal and child health outcomes, with births outside of health facilities increasing from 19 to 51.1%. Destruction of health infrastructure included 70% of hospitals and 79% of health centres, and the fear of aerial bombardment further contributed to an increase in deliveries outside health facilities, with a staggering 814 mothers, 2.7% overall, delivering in a cave or bush. The rebuilding of Tigray's health system is imperative for the health of mothers and children. Otherwise, they are doomed to death in the eyes of the international community. Hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are a leading cause of maternal mortality worldwide, affecting 1 in 10 pregnancies, and new ways of predicting, preventing and treating these disorders are urgently required. There are currently no accurate early prediction tools for preeclampsia in routine clinical use. Fan and colleagues found that measuring arterial stiffness in 191 high-risk first-trimester pregnancies predicted preeclampsia with higher accuracy than blood pressure, ultrasound or angiogenic biomarkers, with an area under the curve of 0.83 and 95% confidence intervals of 0.74 to 0.92. This study adds to a growing body of literature that arterial stiffness holds greater predictive value for preeclampsia than other parameters, enabling the potential identification of at-risk women early in pregnancy for targeted prevention and monitoring strategies. In a French nationwide cohort study, Leila and colleagues explore the risk of recurrent gestational hypertension and preeclampsia in a second pregnancy. They found that women with previous gestational hypertension were four and a half to five times and those with preeclampsia two and a half to 14 times more likely to develop hypertensive disorders in their second pregnancy. 
Importantly, those with severe or early preeclampsia had a 53% risk of recurrence in their second pregnancy, with predictors including advanced maternal age, social deprivation, obesity, diabetes and chronic hypertension. These findings support evidence-based discussion and prevention measures for second pregnancies in women with previous gestational hypertensive disorders. Labour complications are an important cause of maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality. Giacchino and colleagues present a meta-analysis of 13 studies investigating outcomes after Keelan's rotational forceps delivery. They conclude that Keelan's delivery is safe for the management of second-stage fetal malposition, demonstrating a lower rate of postpartum haemorrhage compared to non-rotational forceps or second-stage caesarean section, a lower rate of birth trauma than vacuum delivery, and a lower rate of five-minute APGAR score less than seven compared with second-stage caesarean section. Paris and Sisikos comment that second-stage caesarean section is not always the best way out, recommending a revival of the dying art of Keelan's delivery through the establishment of centres of excellence. The cultivation of good clinical practice through appropriate training is crucial to prevent the de-skilling of obstetricians globally. The old adage, prevention is better than cure, is extremely pertinent to maternal health since the pregnancy state challenges our physiological limits. Axford and colleagues explored pre-pregnancy participation and performance in the world's largest cross-country ski race as a proxy measure of fitness on pregnancy outcomes. Race participation and performance showed a positive correlation with favourable perinatal metabolic, vaginal delivery and postnatal mental health outcomes, highlighting the importance of pre-pregnancy fitness at a time of globally declining physical activity levels. In 2020, globally, 2.4 million children died in the first month of life, equating to approximately 6,700 deaths every day. Yet again, this represents a stark health inequity, with sub-Saharan Africa experiencing 43% of the total global death toll. Preterm delivery is the leading cause of neonatal morbidity and mortality, and the second leading cause of death in children under five years of age worldwide, and urgent attention is needed to reverse this trend. A shortened cervix in the second trimester of pregnancy is a well-established risk factor for spontaneous preterm birth, and in this issue, Hughes and colleagues critically appraise 14 systematic reviews exploring the prognostic capacity of transvaginal sonographic cervical length in the second trimester in asymptomatic women. They found that cervical length is consistently associated with spontaneous preterm birth, but with an imprecise likelihood ratio of between 1.7 and 142, highlighting the need for individual patient data meta-analysis to overcome the limitations of the existing literature. Andrew Combs highlights important methodological considerations, asserting that cervical length is a prognostic rather than a diagnostic test. 
misclassification has led to loss of information relevant to unmasking the true relationship between a short cervix and spontaneous preterm birth. Reducing stillbirth rates is an urgent health priority, and in this issue, Hazel and colleagues show that the Count the Kicks campaign in Iowa, USA, that aimed to increase maternal awareness of fetal movements, decreased stillbirth rates by comparison to three neighbouring states where this campaign was not implemented. Further studies are needed to confirm these findings. Intrapartum-related complications, including birth asphyxia, is another leading cause of neonatal death, with high-risk pregnancies in greatest danger. In this issue of BJOG, Leah and colleagues investigate the impact of repeated acute hypoxemia in chronically hypoxic fetal sheep, consistent with early labour. They showed that chronically hypoxemic fetuses had an earlier onset of cardiovascular compromise when subject to labour-like brief umbilical cord occlusions, highlighting how important clinical context is in delivering patient-centred care to improve neonatal outcomes. Gynaecological cancers remain a problematic cause of women's global morbidity and mortality, and efforts must be focused on prevention, screening and early detection. Premenopausal risk-reducing salpingo-oophorectomy is offered to those with hereditary predisposition to ovarian cancer and is firmly embedded into clinical practice. However, the long-term risks are not fully understood. Terra and colleagues evaluate the subjective cognition of 641 women who underwent a risk-reducing salpingo-oophorectomy and reassure us that there was no difference in objective cognition measurements up to 18 years after surgery according to pre-operative menopausal status. Conservative treatment for atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer is important for fertility sparing and high-risk populations. Intrauterine progestin treatment can be effective. However, no biomarker to date predicts response to progestin therapy other than standard surveillance imaging and invasive endometrial biopsies. Barr and colleagues show that serum human epididymis 4, or HE4, could be a predictive biomarker of progestin treatment response in neoplastic endometrial abnormalities, with the potential to inform decision-making and offer a personalised approach to management and counselling. Ramirez and colleagues summarise the evidence underpinning current management strategies for cervical cancer and highlight the importance of high-quality research to inform clinical practice. The laparoscopic approach to carcinoma of the cervix, or the LAC trial, showed that the minimally invasive surgical approach to the management of early-stage cervical cancer is associated with worse overall and progression-free survival compared to the open approach. Further, there was no difference in post-operative adverse events and health-related quality of life according to surgical approach. Despite retrospective data suggesting avoiding the use of a vaginal manipulator or using a vaginal protective technique and cervical conization pre-surgery reduces mortality, caution must be taken as no prospective data are currently available. Further, adequately powered prospective studies are needed to answer these pertinent questions 
in order to improve cervical cancer care. In this issue of BJOG, Millot and colleagues further our understanding of the impact of COVID-19 infection on maternal and fetal health. They show that antenatal infection induces a higher rate of placental inflammatory lesions, including chronic villitis, implying that there is a potential for obstetric complications beyond the acute infection stage. By contrast, however, Collie and colleagues show that placentitis and vertical transmission was rare in 244 placentas from an unselected maternal COVID-19 infection population. In conclusion, and echoing Michelle Obama's sentiment, there is an urgent need to actively commit to the health of women globally, and it is imperative that this be at the top of the agenda for policymakers and heads of state. This requires a concerted collaborative effort with key players including patients, caregivers, policymakers, charities, funders, researchers and healthcare providers, and a substantial investment in women's health. There is a resurgence in policy denying women's decisions around bodily autonomy, pregnancy and abortion. And it is our duty as a community advocating for the betterment of women's health to counter this with all of our might. Empowering women through education and providing evidence-based, high-quality, accessible and inclusive care will ensure a stronger, more resilient society. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.